episode 59. Scat, don't let Auntie aggravate you. It seemed only yesterday that he was telling me not to aggravate Auntie. You know, she's not used to girls, said Jen. Leastways, not girls like you. She's trying to make you a lady. Can't you take up sewing or something? Hell no. She doesn't like me. That's all there is to it. And I don't care. It was her calling Walter Cunningham trash that got me going, Jim. Not what she said about being a problem to Atticus. We got that all straight one time. I asked him if I was a problem, and he said, not much of one. At most, what he could always figure out and not to worry my head a second about bothering him. Nah, it was Walter. That boy's not trash, Jim. He ain't like the Yules. Jim kicked off his shoes and swung his feet to the bed. He propped himself against a pillow and switched on the reading light. You know something, Scout? I got it all figured out now. I've thought about it a lot lately, and I've got it figured out. There's four kinds of folks in the world. There's the ordinary kind, like us and the neighbors. There's the kind like the Cunninghams out in the woods. The kind like the Yules down at the dump. And the Negroes. What about the Chinese and Cajuns down yonder in Baldwin County? I mean in Maycomb County. The thing about it is, our kind of folks don't like the Cunninghams. The Cunninghams don't like the Yules. And the Yules hate and despise the colored folks. I told Jim, if that was so, then why didn't Tom's jury, made up of folks like the Cunninghams, acquit Tom just to spite the Yules? Jim waved my question away as being infantile. You know, he said, I've seen Atticus pat his foot when there's fiddling on the radio, and he loves pot liquor better than any man I ever saw. Well, then that makes us like the Cunninghams, I said. I can't see why Auntie... No, let me finish. It does, but we're still different somehow. Atticus said one time the reason Auntie's so hipped on the family is because all we've got's background and not a dime to our names. Well, Jim, I don't know. Atticus told me one time that most of this old family stuff's foolishness because everybody's family's just as old as everybody else's. I said, did that include the colored folks and Englishmen? And he said, yes. Background doesn't mean old family, said Jim. I think it's how long your family's been reading and writing. Scout, I studied this real hard, and that's the only reason I can think of. Somewhere along when the Finches were in Egypt, one of them must have learned a hieroglyphic or two and taught his boy. Jim laughed. Imagine Auntie being proud her great-granddaddy could read and write. Ladies pick funny things to be proud of. Well, I'm glad he could, or who'd have taught Atticus in them? And if Atticus couldn't read, you and me'd be in a fix. I don't think that's what background is, Jim. Well, then how do you explain why the Cunninghams are different? Mr. Walter can hardly sign his name. I've seen him. We've just been reading and writing longer than they have. No, everybody's got to learn. Nobody's born knowing. That Walter's as smart as he can be. He just gets held back sometimes because he has to stay out and help his daddy. Nothing's wrong with him. No, Jim, I think there's just one kind of folks. Folks. 
Jem turned around and punched his pillow. When he settled back, his face was cloudy. He was going into one of his declines, and I grew wary. His brows came together. His mouth became a thin line. He was silent for a while. That's what I thought, too, he said at last, when I was your age. If there's just one kind of folks, why can't they get along with each other? If they're all alike, why do they go out of their way to despise each other? Scout, I think I'm beginning to understand something. I think I'm beginning to understand why Boo Radley stayed shut up in his house all this time. It's because he wants to stay inside. Chapter 24 Calpurnia wore her stiffest, starched apron. She carried a tray of Charlotte. She backed up to the swinging door and pressed gently. I admired the ease and grace with which she handled heavy loads of dainty things. So did Aunt Alexandra, I guess, because she had let Calpurnia serve today. August was on the brink of September. Dill would be leaving for Meridian tomorrow. Today, he was off with Jem at Barker's Eddy. Jem had discovered with angry amazement that nobody had ever bothered to teach Dill how to swim, a skill Jem considered necessary as walking. They had spent two afternoons at the creek. They said they were going in naked and I couldn't come, so I divided the lonely hours between Calpurnia and Miss Maudie. Today, Aunt Alexandra and her missionary circle were fighting the good fight all over the house. From the kitchen, I heard Mrs. Grace Merriweather giving a report in the living room on the squalid lives of the Maroonas. That's what it sounded like to me. They put the women out in huts when their time came, whatever that was. They had no sense of family. I knew that had distress, Auntie. They subjected children to terrible ordeals when they were 13. They were crawling with yaws and earworms. They chewed up and spat out the bark of a tree into a communal pot and then got drunk on it. Immediately thereafter, the ladies adjourned for refreshments. I didn't know whether to go into the dining room or stay out. Aunt Alexandra told me to join them for refreshments. It was not necessary that I attend the business part of their meeting. She said it had bore me. I was wearing my pink Sunday dress, shoes, and a petticoat, and reflected that if I spilled anything, Calpurnia would have to wash my dress again for tomorrow. This had been a busy day for her. I decided to stay put. Can I help you, Cal? I asked, wishing to be of some service. Calpurnia paused in the doorway. You'll be as still as a mouse in that corner, she said, and you can help me load up the trays when I come back. The gentle hum of ladies' voices grew louder as she opened the door. Why, Alexandra, I never saw such Charlotte. Just lovely. I never can get my crust like this. Never can. Who'd have thought of little dewberry tarts? Calpurnia, who'd have thought it? Anybody tell you that the preacher's wife? No. Well, she is. And that other one not walking yet. They became quiet, and I knew they had all been served. Calpurnia returned and put my mother's heavy silver pitcher on a tray. This coffee pitcher's a curiosity, she murmured. They don't make them these days. 
Can I carry it in? If you be careful and don't drop it. Set it down at the end of the table by Miss Alexandra, down there by the cups and things. She's going to pour. I tried pressing my behind against the door as Calpurnia had done, but the door didn't budge. Grinning, she held it open for me. Careful now, it's heavy. Don't look at it and you won't spill it. My journey was successful. Aunt Alexandra smiled brilliantly. Stay with us, Jean Louise, she said. This was a part of her campaign to teach me to be a lady. It was customary for every circle hostess to invite her neighbors in for refreshments, be they Baptists or Presbyterians, which accounted for the presence of Miss Rachel, sober as a judge, Miss Maudie, and Miss Stephanie Crawford. Rather nervous, I took a seat beside Miss Maudie and wondered why ladies put on their hats to go across the street. Ladies in bunches always filled me with vague apprehension and a firm desire to be elsewhere. But this feeling was what Aunt Alexandra called being spoiled. The ladies were cool in fragile pastel prints. Most of them were heavily powdered but unrouged. The only lipstick in the room was Tangy Natural. Cutex Natural sparkled on their fingernails, but some of the younger ladies wore rose. They smelled heavenly. I sat quietly, having conquered my hands by tightly gripping the arms of the chair and waited for someone to speak to me.